Hey guys, we're really looking forward to having you listen to our current series called The Family Table. We want to preface this specific episode by filling you in on some tragic news within our own community. You see, over the weekend, two police officers in our city, McAllen, were shot and killed in the line of duty. To begin, our hearts and our prayer goes out to those families. Further, in this episode, not only does our friend Izzy join us for a wonderful discussion, we go back and forth in a series of topics such as police reform. We want to be very clear. The examples in our episode are just that. They are examples. That is it. We do not claim to be professionals in this area of policy, and while we desire to see reform, we are not advocating for the abolishment of our law enforcement departments. And with that being said, we hope that you enjoy today's episode. Thank you. There's no place like the family table, a place where we can all be free. There's no place like a family table, where there's a space for you and me. Or you can bring your thoughts and you can bring your opinions. And all we ask for you is that you're willing to listen. You can tell us anything that you might be thinking. Even if that means that my thoughts will be seen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. We are here at the Confessional Taco live. We are actually at the Taco Shack, so we are here. Don't worry, there's less than 10 of us, right? There's at least 12. 12. 12 of us. And uh, we have a guest with us, Izzy. What up? Izzy says hello. Uh, that's what. That's like uh, Ebonics for those of you guys who don't know. Uh, it's, uh, that, that means hello for, for folks that don't know. Uh, we want to go ahead and thank you guys for joining us here today. Um, we're going to be having a good conversation, kind of jumping off of what we talked about last week, uh, the, the George, uh, George Floyd as a catalyst, as a movement. Uh, we have Marco here. Marco, say hello to the people that love you. Hi, guys. Okay, Marco says, hi, guys. Uh, we also have Riley. Riley, can you yell, uh, yell hello? Say it, say it. Hi. That, that is Riley. She is awesome. She's going to make sure that we stay on topic. Right, Riley? Yep. All right, guys. So we want to, again, welcome you guys. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, so how's everybody How's everybody doing with this with this uh, new uh, mask in order? Mass incarceration? Ma- mask incarceration. Is that what you call it? I mean, we live in the land of the free, uh-huh. allegedly. 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 Talk to us about that. I mean, You're not I will. Right? No, no. I mean, I... You know, it's all in the interest of public safety, you know, yeah. of, of public health, which is, right. uh, I don't know if you guys seen uh, V for Vendetta. Yes. Yeah, but that, that whole spiel, that whole authoritarian government came about bec- as a response to a virus. So um, they put um, quarantines and curfews and all that because it's all for your safety. It's so for your well-being. are you saying that 2020 is based off of a movie? 
Um, it's, that's what I heard. It was a prophecy. And so, no, not <laughs> I feel like 2020 is a culmination of like V for Vendetta, 1984, Fahrenheit oh, yeah. 451. World War Z is next. World War Z yeah. and a little bit of mysticism. <laughs> you know, so that, that doctrine of total depravity is really coming to light here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're diving in quick. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, if we're going to... We're going to be talking controversy. Let's let's just go ahead let's head first. Go Might as well. Well, I wanted to kind of just see how you guys were doing. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that, about yeah. that. <laughs> go, ahead. go ahead, Marco. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm... Uh, wait, what was the question? How are we doing how with are the... You? Oh, I thought you were talking specifically about uh, the oncoming quarantine again. Well, it is oncoming for sure. Oh, yeah. I think so. Again. Um, I mean, I'm doing well. Uh, dude, I'm not going to lie. Um, last week, as the cases began to surge... Um, I was talking to Gary, who's an older gentleman in our church. And, uh, and I asked, I asked Gary, I was like, Hey Gary, what do you think about all this? And he like slowly removes his mask and he says, uh, I think it's time to be, to, to, for concern. Yeah. For Gary to say that, I was like, Oh man. Yeah. And so what, what, was it, was it really slow and methodical? It really was. It was very Gary like it was like, it, so <laughs> We were at a, at a cigar lounge, and I was like, Gary, what do you think? What do you think about all this? And Gary just slowly brings his mask down, and he goes, I think it's time for concern. Oh, <laughs> man. As it, 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 Can you describe Gary for people? Gary is about six foot five. Um, he's about six foot five, and um, he is nicknamed the Godfather because Gary's an older gentleman, so Gary's in his 70s, six foot five. Very quiet, soft-hearted, but full of wisdom. Uh, he's been married to his lovely wife Anne for 35 years now, and um, and so when Gary speaks, it, he's one of those individuals that when Gary speaks, you just shut up. And if you speak, if, if other people speak out of place, those other individuals get on that person. Right, they're like, shut up, Gary. Yeah, talking. shut up, G- Gary's yeah. talking. Absolutely. And so, and it's not just because Gary has that soft voice, because he does. Even when he's even when he's being firm about something, he's very soft spoken, and uh, but that doesn't take away from I think his wisdom or his authority. And I've only known a handful of older gentlemen like that to have to to command a room like that. Yeah, and and so like easy for him to do it too. And I think that's because of the like um the relationship he's built with all of us. Mm-hmm. Like, when Gary hugs you, you're, you're gonna cry. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're just gonna cry. That like, whole, like, uh, hey, let insane. me pray for you, Gary oh takes God. that seriously. Yeah. He does yeah. it right yeah. then and there. Yeah, he does. Yeah. It's like, come on in. I've yeah. experienced that person. Yeah. Yeah. With Gary. So, yeah, I remember one time, yeah. yeah, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was pacing back and forth before a sermon. I was just really nervous about the content, and he just walked over me and put his hand on my shoulder and started to pray. Didn't ask him to, didn't do anything. He just, he saw that I was really nervous. Man, and that's uh, awesome. Yeah. That's Gary for you. So when Gary says, I think it's time to worry, you take that seriously. Yeah. It, I mean, I did. I was like, oh, snap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, I think the, the thing that didn't run through my mind was like, well, I disagree. I mean, if you think about it, it's 0.1% of the population. And yeah, let's be cautious. And to an extent, I, I do feel that way. And... Uh, when Gary said that, I was like, oh man, okay, well, Gary, I think the other thing is because Gary's in, in, um, 
What is it? He's in health insurance. So he, he's seeing those numbers fluctuate constantly. So he has a he has a completely different perspective than, than I would, I think. Um I was uh so in even in light of that, like I was talking to Jonah Saturday morning. And so in his perspective is totally different because he's on the front line. Yeah, he's yeah. an EMT. Right? Yeah, he's an EMT. He's like he's right on it. So he's he's, he's seeing the worst of the worst. And so it's 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 um I don't know. It's it's both fascinating, encouraging, and conflicting all at the same time. Because in that little pocket, that's three different perspectives. What I see on a screen, what I see on a graph, versus what Jonah sees as he's responding to calls, versus what Gary sees as he's seeing numbers um, financially fluctuate. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to point out that we still haven't answered the original question of how are you doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know he hardly like, ever answers that question. It's true. I just, I just deflect. How are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you, let me tell you about this one time I, I ran into this one guy. Yeah, pretty maybe, much. Maybe they don't. Maybe this will answer the question. Well, it's me. because we were like, "Oh, quarantine is oncoming," and I was like, "Oh yeah, that reminds me of a conversation." Anyway, sorry yeah. for telling you about my life. Hey, I'm um, always happy to hear about your life. <laughs> um, yeah. No. What if it really was like things aren't going well, and I want to tell you on the podcast? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm doing well, man. Um, outside of those conversations, I'm doing well. Um, I mean, we're recording on a Monday. Mondays are pretty quiet and chill for me. So, yeah. I also do want to point out, uh, you mentioned recording, is that we're in a small room with three open mics. Uh, and this is very much experimental. So if it sounds off, you can blame Izzy. Yeah, thank you. Do it. It's true. <laughs> yeah, and I also have my four-year-old daughter here with us. So, But she's hilarious. It's all right. <laughs> she says relevant things. She says she's relevant. relevant. Things. She's relevant. Hashtag. Hashtag relevant. Hashtag relevant. You, okay, that hashtag thing is about the most unrelevant thing we could have possibly said right now. Because when was the last time somebody actually used that expression? Relevant? No, hashtag. Oh, I used it in a sermon. <laughs> Did you? At some point. Really? All the time, bro. Hashtag. You guys are in your hashtag, hashtag, you're crazy. hashtag relevant. Hashtag, you guys hashtag are Taco Sam. <laughs> or Taco hashtag Cat. OTD. OTD. Outfit of the day. Oh, okay. What's up? Hey, I, I will. I will say this. I will say this before we dive into the controversy. Serge has got one of the best stylistic. Um, I don't even know how to say it. Just. Every time I see your Instagram, fashion? yeah, fashion. There you go. Yeah, Why can I yeah. think of that word? <laughs> you know, English is my second language. I'll just use that as an excuse for now. <laughs> yes, yeah. You're um, an immigrant. But, yeah, I'm an immigrant. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but every time I, every time I log into his Instagram, I'm just like, man, I, one, he's in pretty decent shape physically. You know, compared to compared to moi over here. Uh, so I, he's got that going for him. And then two, uh, the stylistic choices that he picks are just fantastic, especially those Thank hats. You, Especially those hats. I could never pull that off because my head is enormous. I yeah. appreciate that. So. I bet I can get you looking good in the hat. I think um. like Serge's fashion <laughs> is really good. I've always appreciated it. And and I think that's his... We had a conversation about this where I'm just like, yeah. that's the lane I run in. Appreciation. Appreciation I would for Serge's actually, fashion? I would never actually act upon my appreciation. <laughs> 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 but yes, I think okay. I think I appreciate his style. You guys are super sweet. Thank you. Um, so let's get talking. I mean, Izzy wants to jump right in. He keeps mentioning controversy, which I don't know why. I don't know if it's really a controversy. There's no, contro- no controversy. It's funny. I don't know if that's, if that's a thing with that chair. Because sometimes when we first started recording, Serge would use words, and I'm like, this isn't a controversial subject. Or he'd say, hey, this might upset people. Be like, it's not going to upset people. 
It could be the chair. Yeah, it could be the chair. Yeah, something so, about the chair. So last week, Marco, you and I were talking about George Floyd being a catalyst for a movement, not just um, across like inter- across waters, like international movements, but um, a movement here in the valley, uh, and not necessarily even like a sociopolitical movement, but a movement within hearts, right? Mm-hmm. And so you had mentioned how like the big takeaway for you when you saw this 8 minute and 46 second video was the fact that like, hey, I don't hate my sin enough. Because mm-hmm. if you hated your sin enough, then you knew that this this person, the image bearer of Christ, is being murdered, and something else would be turning up in mm-hmm. you. And like you saw it, like yeah, that's wrong. But then you were like really meditating on it, mm-hmm. and you're like, man, like I don't hate sin, period, enough. Yeah. As much as I say that I do. And so you and I were talking about it. We were whiteboarding some stuff about what we can do here in our context, and. We, we came up with some, some cool ideas, some good thoughts, some pillars that we kind of want to hit up. And uh, and then we're here with this podcast series that we want to do um, that if you heard the, the title song, it's called Family Table. Yeah. Which uh, Mom's Rogers, song, by the way, yeah, is really good. I was, I was very uh, inspired by Mr. Rogers. It was great. I put on a sweater and everything. <laughs> no, I think I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I put on the sweater and took my shoes off. Oh, nice. Um, but uh, all that to say... Um, this is more than just like a, a how, how do I say this without sounding weird, weird or awful? Like this is more than just a life. It's okay. You already sound weird and awful. So That's awesome. <laughs> uh, this is, um, this is much more than that. This is yeah. bigger than that. And then how do we apply that to the context of the Rio Grande Valley? Yeah. Right. And so. We thought that we'd bring in e- Izzy over here. Easy. 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 We thought we'd bring him over and just kind of have a conversation uh, with him to ask him questions, see how he feels, especially like uh, with, with what he sees every day and um, and just kind of have a conversation with a third person that's not yeah. just you and I uh, to see if maybe there's a difference of opinion and maybe there's some similarities here and there. And so... Um, we appreciate Izzy. We appreciate you for coming and joining us. It's awesome that you were able to do that. Yeah, man. Thank you guys um, for having me. Yeah. So I mean, let's just hit it. Well, so one quick thing, we I would maybe spend a couple minutes on this. Like, okay. so we've introduced Izzy as our friend, but our our listeners don't know who you are or anything. Yes. So in a quick snapshot, could you give us I mean, introduce yourself? Right, like. Who are you? Like Where are you from? Your yeah. family? What do you do? That jazz. Well, I'm pretty How excited. How do you know us? How do I know you guys? Well, first of all, I'm pretty excited to be at a podcast that's called the the Taco, the Confessional Taco. True. Because tacos are life. They and, are. And uh, we took down 20 tacos. Yeah, before. we did. <laughs> we did. Yeah, between me and Marco, we took down 20 tacos. That was pretty epic. Um, and then on top of that, Riley hadn't really finished her tacos either, so I kind of took care of that too. So, I, dude, I could go. I could go for gold on that. Um, no, but uh, yeah, so my real name is Israel. That's Riley. Okay, so my, my real name is Israel Nogueira. I was born in a uh, small town called Tres Valles, Veracruz. Came here at the age of... Th- oh, you didn't know that, right? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'll take you there one day. Um, so I, I came to the U.S. at the age of three. I came to the I came to the U.S. at the age of three, and I've been pretty much living in the United States ever since. But English is definitely my second yeah. language. Uh, you might pick up a few things here and there in my accent, but uh, but yeah. So I don't think you have an accent. You don't think so? I don't, I don't no. think so either. Oh, okay. But then you say the same thing about like the comment you made last time about 
us not having an accent and then us switching to a Californian accent. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, dude, I, if we have time, I would love to talk about that. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But anyway. I understand that. Yeah, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's that's pretty much my, my background. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, Pentecostal. Uh, kind of had a little bit of a falling out when, in my faith, but then I rediscovered it in college. And uh, long story short, now I'm leading worship at Storehouse, and that's how I know these two guys. Um, and uh, yeah, Marco is now my pastor. Mm. How does that sound? Sounds weird. How does that make you feel? Weird. Pastor Marco? Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> speaking makes me sound like a taco. Hey, yeah, I was going to say, speaking of pastor, dude, those tacos are bomb. <laughs> anyway, moving on. But yeah, so that's a little bit about me. That's how I know these guys. And uh, actually, on the topic, this, to- this particular topic is a topic that I hold very dear to my heart. It's something that I've been struggling with doing research on and really trying to deconstruct my own perspective on race relations, uh, not only between white people and all other minorities within the United States, but even within the Hispanic community and how we interact with other races and other ethnic groups here within the United States. And then even within the Hispanic community, right? Because you you got, you got, you got people from Mexico, you got people from Central America, even South America and even the Caribbean Although uh, the government likes to kind of categorize us all as one people, yeah. we could not be more different, you know, because right. Caribbean people or have their own culture, have their own even yeah. style of speaking. They may speak Spanish, but sure. it's a very different type of Spanish. Yeah. So anyway, all that's all that being said, really trying to dive in on just the, con- the not only the human condition, but the human condition within the context of how we view ourselves and how we allow others to view us based on the color of our skin, where we come from, and things of that nature. And so all of that has really began to impact my personal life and and really allow me to dive deeper, want to know more uh, when it pertains to race relations. And right now, the biggest issue is, is there a system that is oppressing people of color um, through the police, right? right? And so... And me and Serge were talking about this earlier uh, about how the police in the United States hasn't really changed. Mm-hmm. The same police departments that were throwing dogs on protesters back in the 1960s are the same police departments that are throwing dogs on them today. Mm-hmm. Nothing really changed. The only thing that changed was there a law that said, don't do that anymore. Right. But was right. there really a shift in culture? Was there really a shift in the belief mm-hmm. that yeah. we are truly equal? And so that's right. something I want to dive in a little bit more today. But yeah, just to, you know, quick snapshot yeah this is something that i've really tried to uh wrestle with yeah definitely i think it's super important for people to understand that like this is something that people need to wrestle with not necessarily just jump in for like poops and giggles i think that's something encouraging especially like for listeners i hope i think something that i think that is something that ought to be encouraging because i think culturally based on uh, social media and just a variety of other constructs. I think many people are pressured to have to know where they stand on a particular issue or um, on 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 an injustice happening, and so they feel a pressure to to have to already have a position, have to have known historical rhetoric and 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 events in an effort to speak into it. And if you don't, it says something about you. If you do, if you don't say something, then you've revealed your position. Mm. If you do say something, then you revealed your position. And so I think many people to an extent don't communicate because they're either 
ignorant, and I mean that by saying like they're uninformed and therefore right. they want to get informed, but they don't know where to start because it's such a complex issue. But even in addition to that, they don't necessarily say anything because it's like I, I don't know enough about the issue to, to even engage because the little that I know, I'm just going to get ripped up. You know, and so I think, so, and, and I think there's a variety of angles to look at that yeah, from. But I think this goes back to what you and I were talking about about the idea of listen, learn, lament. Yeah. But they can't listen and learn and lament without people speaking and teaching yeah. and forgiving. Yeah. Right. So it, it must be done, and I think allowing people that opportunity, allowing people that time, that, that that's important. You know, you yeah. can't just uh, you can't just like jump in on a. It's like jumping in on a bandwagon, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You know, we, we, we know people are like, oh, man, this band's great. It's like, oh, yeah, now you like them? Right. You know, like, we, we laugh, but we know plenty. Um, but anyway, like, I love that. And so uh, I guess my first question for you, Izzy, is um, when you watched that video, how did you feel? What, like, what did you feel? And did you see, did you see, well, I'll, I'll do a follow-up question after that. Okay. So when I first discovered that video, when I first heard about it, my initial reactions was here we go again mm. because it's happened time and time and again. And, yes. and I've seen other videos of police brutality and other videos of unarmed black men being shot and paranoid police officers overreacting, slamming people to the ground, that kind of situation. And so when my initial reaction was here we go again. But as I saw the video and as I began to realize what was happening and, I, and then I saw that this guy was not removing his knee from his neck that's when I began to realize, like, oh, my goodness, this is going to get bad. And so when George Floyd stopped moving, I remember feeling an overwhelming, I mean, it was overwhelming sense of anger that I began to tear up. I began to yell at my phone. And I was with the people that were in that video telling the police officer, get off his neck. I was yelling at my phone saying, get off his neck. What is wrong with you? Um, Obviously, you know, I was in the heat of the moment and Nobody was going to hear me, but, um, but yeah, that was, that was my reaction when I saw that video. And then afterwards, the only thing I could feel was the pain that his family was going to feel when they would find out that someone had just died in the hands of police and then over something that was so dumb. I mean, if you, if you ask me, like he paid with a counterfeit, I think it was like a counterfeit counterfeit 20. But that is not uncommon. Like, I I can tell you because my wife used to work at a bank and people unknowingly bring counterfeit money all the time. And especially, you know, in in communities where there might be a high crime rate where drug money gets exchanged, like there tends to be some of that. It's bound to happen. happen. And so so you can unintentionally carry a counterfeit bill with you. And uh, I don't know if that's enough to kill somebody over. You see what I'm saying? And so it's just... Well, I know, and it's not enough. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, obviously that was a rhetorical question. Of course, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dumb reason to kill somebody over. But I'm just saying it was just this overreaction. Sure. And I can tell you why they overreacted. Because he was black. And I can tell you that because I've seen videos of situations where a white person is doing the exact same thing. And police officers will approach calmly. They will approach almost like they're trying to reason with the person. Mm-hmm. But when it's a black person doing it, um, at least from the evidence that I've seen, it's an always immediate heightened sense of get on the ground, put your hands up immediately. And nine out of 10 times, it turns out that nothing was really going on. But because of this paranoia, 
that police officers have built in, and, and it's this is built into the system and this is something that has been around way before the 1960s way before the civil rights movement so right. it's just this heightened sense that black bat and so they, they're always constantly being told this uh either through experience or either through other police officers that may have had a bad experience and then they're just passing on that trauma down to other police officers and this is causing a culture within police departments where the initial reaction to a would-be normal situation would be pull my gun out tell the guy to get his hands up because I'm scared for my life. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to be scared for their life other than the fact that they just saw a black man. Right. And so that, that, is, that is the problem. And so that's why they overreacted with George Floyd and he was having a medical emergency. So someone who's having a medical emergency, one, is not going to be able to respond in the same way as someone who's all there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, if, and if you saw the video of when the police first showed up, that initial police officer already had his, hand, his uh, handgun drawn. And so even a person who is not going through a medical emergency, you see somebody pointing a gun at you. You're not going to be like, hi, officer, how's it going? Like, you're, right. that's not going to be your reaction. Your reaction is going to be like, what is going on? Yeah. And you're going to be afraid. You're going to either be angry or something. Um, and so these, these are the situations where things just get escalated for no, I mean, just there's no real reason to escalate them other than the fact that there is, because if you strip everything away, and you really get down to the brass tacks of it. Why did they react the way they did? And I can tell you, it's because George Floyd was a black man. Had it been a white man paying a counterfeit bill, they probably would have tried to have a conversation with him. Again, that's just my opinion, but it see, the evidence seems to point in that direction. I think it's a pretty solid opinion. I think you see that constantly. Back, in, I mean, you can compare videos all the time, right? And so thank you for that answer. Um, I guess my follow-up question kind of leans into what you were saying. Uh, Mark and I were... Mark and I were talking and one of the questions he asked was that, that we want to answer is uh, not who killed George Floyd, but what mm. killed George Floyd, right? Mm. And you're kind of leaning into that. So do you want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So obviously we know who it was this guy Chauvin or whatever his name mm-hmm. is and all the other guys that kind of just stood around and let it happen. But in reality, what killed George Floyd is the same thing that killed Tamir Rice, it's the same thing that killed uh, Breonna Taylor. The same thing that killed uh, all these other countless innocent black people. Um, and this is an ongoing system mm-hmm. of just instilled fear in police officers that we're, and I, I mean, we can, there's debate in different schools of thoughts as to where that comes from. But I can tell you, uh, there, the consensus, at least in the community that wants police, excuse me, police reform, will tell you that it is based on race, it's based on profiling. It's based on making an assumption about someone simply because of the way they look. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when it, us as humans, I guess through evolution or through whatever you want to call it, we've, our brain is just kind of wired to uh, um, put things in compartments, right? right? You, it, it's just easier to live when you're able to compartmentalize, compartmentalize things. And that allows you to use your, your brain for other things, right? Survival or what have you. And so whenever, so for example, I'm going to give you an example, uh, you know, back in the olden days, you know, the cavemen, mm-hmm. whenever they would see an elephant or a, or a mammoth, they would think food, boom, they see something shaped of an elephant, they, their immediate uh, response is, that's probably food. If they see something that's shaped like a tiger, their immediate response is, that's probably bad, let me run away or try to fight it or whatever. And so because our brains are designed to just create these compartments, um, by the way, that is learned behavior. It's not something that comes naturally. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it is learned behavior. And when somebody teaches you to put this into this compartment and tells you this is the way it is, 
then your reaction is going to be that from now on, unless you deconstruct it and are able to unlearn those biases that you built over time. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not something that happens in police departments. Like there's all these biases and all these things that have been ingrained into police departments for centuries, well, decades, I shouldn't say centuries, or maybe some of them. I, I would right. say yeah. centuries because yeah. if you, um, Propaganda has this new podcast out right uh, called Behind the Police, and it goes back to like the Greeks, like the first policing system. Mm. Like it, it was informed biases that allowed the police system to instill fear on a certain group of people. Like it was a very specific certain group of people so that they can um, excel themselves and the other people be less than. And so it's been centuries. 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 Okay. So I would agree with that. And so it's just a system with the way we police and there is a racial component deeply rooted in it. Uh, particularly if you want to go back to the post civil war era when uh, slaves were, sli- were when slaves were freed uh, some of the original police forces that were created in the south had the explicit purpose of just slave hunting right and so even after the emancipation and even after uh, juneteenth when uh, slaves finally found out that they were free and they celebrated even in those times of celebration there were some union generals uh, particularly the guy who made the the, the announcement on juneteenth uh, he said, you guys are no longer slaves. However, you will still have to work at the plantations that you're currently a slave mm-hmm. on. And so it was a thing that even though they were freed, they were clearly not equal. Right. And so <clears throat> so these systems, even the system that, were, that freed slaves right. was a system that still saw them as a lesser than and still saw them as like, you know, sure, you're, nobody has to force you to work now without paying you. Mm-hmm. But if they force you to work now, at least, you know, now they got to pay. And then the, there was a whole thing right. about that, too. And then if you if you see the documentary, The 13th, on Netflix, yes. it kind of explores that a little bit and how some of the laws that were created um, were designed to arrest people and then force them into labor. And so essentially force them back into slavery. Sure. That's what I was going to say. Through prison like systems. Yeah. The prison system. That was a prison, you know. Yeah. Forcing so, them into labor. Yeah, yeah, so unfortunately, the, the reality is that even though we live in a time where that generation is pretty much bygone, a lot of the same biases, a lot of the same paranoia, a lot of the same prejudice, and a lot of the same belief systems never left. Mm-hmm. They're still there. Mm-hmm. It's just that now people are getting better at hiding it, or it's just not popular anymore for you to just outright say, you know what, I don't like this group of people. Mm-hmm. Back in, there was a time where you could say that and people would just ignore you. Mm-hmm. But now if you say that, I mean, we can talk about cancel culture later, but, yeah. and, you know, that's a whole different can of worms. Mm-hmm. But essentially, um, these these things never went away. Right. And, and, and the Civil Rights Act didn't make them go away. The only thing it did was criminalize it and make it illegal, right. but it's still there. And so how do you change somebody's mind? How do you change somebody's heart? Right. And the truth is, a lot of times people choose not to change that yeah. and police departments, particularly certain ones will only hire people that have a certain uh, train of thought or certain mindset because they want the system to remain the same. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they just won't outright say, Hey, we're enforcing this because we don't like you. They're just like, Oh, in the name of public safety, or you look suspicious mm-hmm. or, you know, we saw something that didn't quite fit. Right. Um, and to this day, there's, there's, police officers being caught on video literally telling black people oh you're not from this neighborhood that's why i stopped you yeah, i mean right. how would how would you know he's not from the neighborhood you know what i'm saying so yeah. uh so so things like that and so 
The only thing that changed was that people are now more quiet about their biases or more quiet about their prejudice and they try to hide it. Mm-hmm. But it, sincerely, if you look at the system, the system is still there and it never changed. Mm-hmm. Like the same system that enslaved people, the same system that oppressed people just had ba- just has bandages and patches on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really never changed. And that's why we still see a lot of the tragedy that we see today. Mm-hmm. So. so would you say that it wasn't a person... But it was a system. Yeah, it was a system. And, and I mean, the, the United States, it's a great demo- democratic experiment. But we would be fools to not recognize that it was built on the backs of oppressed people, on mm-hmm. the backs of slaves. Mm-hmm. And there was a sentiment, even amongst people who believed in life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, the guys that wrote those words, they owned slaves. Right. So, um, so they either didn't truly believe that or they didn't see uh, black people or people that were coming from Africa as humans or as men so it, it's really telling on uh the system that we currently have and uh, and i will say this system has afforded people just a little uh, asterisk this system has afforded people freedom and the system has afforded people uh asylum and other you know right. things uh although you know our current guy wants to change that but you know <laughs> again can of worms yeah, that's yeah and again can of worms but uh, as flawed as the system is, it has afforded people certain rights and, and, and freedoms and liberties. But just because there's a ton of good doesn't mean we get to ignore the bad or just simply yes. sweep the bad under the rug right. and just be like, well, we're not as bad as China or we're not as bad as some of those African countries that have dictators. Like, right. what, is, what does one have to do with the other? Right. Like, there's people dying here today in this country that is supposed to be free. That's why at the beginning, that's why I was just like, you know, we live in a free country, you know, allegedly. Right. Because right. there's just a lot of things that are in place right now that, um, you know, have truly manifested itself lately. And people are starting to really see that the current system that we have is conducive for certain people to be able to oppress others and not only get a, get, get away with it, but sometimes even praised. Right. And so that's that's where we live in right now. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So a couple of things that you mentioned. Number one, you had mentioned that, like, uh, there needs to be change and it's it, they start getting people into the system that think the same way because it's easier right so i mean change is hard change is so hard but change is a necessity for life to continue um and so that's something that we as a nation need to look at like there must be some sort of reform like uh you and i were talking about how defund the police yeah, sounds great defund the police, you, yeah. yeah sounds great you know it's easier to say but that's not what it means like and and i have friends that that uh wish for their to, to abolish police and I'm like oh, you know that's done like you know and, and but but like there needs to be some sort of reform in the police department in the justice system in the education system which we'll get into later and all this other stuff so but but we have to understand that change is really hard and change can only happen uh, if we speak about it if we talk about it if we listen right and then another thing that you mentioned was how um like, oh, yeah, America is um, America's bad, but we're not as bad as China, right? right? Yeah. And so, Marco, you had mentioned on Sunday how, like, a lot of us uh, are like, oh, oh yeah, my, my sin, you know, is bad, but it's not as bad as Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> so, can you talk to us as, as a pastor, like, um, how, like, these two worlds collide, you know? Because yeah. it's essentially it's the same thing. Like, America's like, yeah, we're not, we're not China. And you're like, like yeah, yeah, and people talk about their sin. They're like, yeah, but I'm not Hitler. So right. maybe kind of guide us a little bit in that. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, I think 
when it comes to, so the context of, of yesterday's message or yesterday's sermon was we were talking about guilt, right? I think one of the things that we need to be aware of, um, both personally and as a, as a nation, I suppose, would be that um, when it comes to guilt and shame, um, the enemy to guilt and shame is honesty. You know what I mean? And so when it comes to uh, America's great wound, um, I think we need to begin by being honest that it exists, right? And 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 that uh, um, that it exists, and as a result, it is infected, right? <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> no, no, no. Say, hey, we're all live. Lead us, lead us. This isn't a Bible study. <laughs> you said, as a pastor, answer this question. That's true, and he's answering like a pastor. Yeah, jeez. You guys are jerks. Um, okay, so yeah, so I think, I think one, we need to recognize that America has this great wound, and it is infected, and as a result of its infection, it has never turned into scar tissue or a scar, and, and, and led to it finally being a scar that is healed. And so, part of what... Um, I think part of what 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 uh, keeps our country from from healing is uh, is that we don't want to acknowledge the, the guilt that is there. And so, some of the ways in which we respond to guilt is that we ignore it. We just don't talk about it. Similar to what Izzy was talking about, like there are these systems, and um, yeah, they've afforded people today, especially freedom and advancement. And we're just not going to talk about it. Like, let's just hope we get enough people through the system to show that clearly you can come out on the other side successful. Yeah. And that might be true. And, and it is. And, and there's obviously um, evidence of that. And there are really great stories of success through that. And the wound is still unclean uh, or not cleaned. Um, and so, so we just ignore it. Another way of, uh, in addition to ignoring it <clears throat> under the same vein, I think, is also that we begin to dull that guilt. Well, if we do enough good, if we do enough changes in these other areas which might be good, which might be even profitable, but we're not dealing with the actual wound itself, then, um, then, then we still have a problem. And then finally it would be, yeah, comparing our guilt, right? Where, where we experience this guilt and I think it's like, well, you know, at least we're not Hitler. At least we're not China. At least we're not these other countries. And to that you would say, yes, absolutely. We are not any of those other countries. And that does not annul the, the wound that we have that has not been dealt with properly. And so, um, so yeah, so I think, I think the enemy to guilt and shame is honesty. And I think that's one of the areas in which our, our, our country has failed in, right? We have failed to be honest about this gaping wound that we have and then addressing particular things within that wound. Like when you have an infected wound, there's a multitude of things that are happening. Number one, um, as blood rushes to the wound, the, the, the job of our blood cells is to actually begin healing that wound. But if it doesn't get cleaned, blood, blood can't do its job. And so there's something keeping it from doing that. Um, in addition to that, uh, the infection is like a team. It's working within itself to prevent healing. In fact, it wants to spread out even more throughout, throughout the body. And so I think we can look at... Um, we can look at the heart of guilt and say, hey, there's a system that um, was 
quite literally built off of the backs of people who were oppressed. And I would say, yes, and that's only one of them. Like, in other words, that's only part of the infection. The other infection is that there is a great sin of greed in, in our country. And another one would be that there is a great sin of partiality, right? James talks about that. Like, there, there are, within this system, there are these other constructs working in tandem to keep the blood from actually healing this wound. That was excellently said. That was awesome. Good job, guys. I mean, that's what I would say as a pastor. I don't know if I would say it <laughs> off the clock. As a Marco, <laughs> as a Marco, I would say. Ah. <laughs> uh, no, no, that was really good. So, a couple of things on, on that, like an infectious, unclean wound leads to what? It leads to more infection. It leads to more infection. It man, it could. Um, and that infection could... not treated leads to what? It could lead to death. Death. Take yeah. that post-millennialism. Right. America's going to die. That's right. Total depravity. <laughs> uh, no, but... but in... <laughs> I, would, I, would, like, I would agree. Because I, I, I think in addition to that, like what one of the things in which we are seeing is really the condition of the human heart in, in all of this. Right? Good, bad, ugly, righteous, unright. Like we are seeing the condition of the human heart. And really we are seeing... Like it's a Romans 5 thing. Like, man, how uh, every part of us, and I tread carefully on depravity because I think sometimes it can be taught wrong. But like one of the things in which we are seeing is just how every part of our being is corrupted. Not that we are incapable of doing good because clearly there's a lot of good things happening and every part of us is corrupted by sin. And so you see it revealed in over the last what nine weeks yeah absolutely what are your thoughts on that Izzy? well i would agree 100 percent, and uh only because you're my pastor that's why I agree. <laughs> no i'm just kidding did there be any push at all um no I, I actually one of the things that you touched on that i think tends to get overlooked even within this context is the other problems that we're contending with which is things like greed things like corporatism and right. other you know aspects of what kind of holds back reform and honestly what moves reform if we're being completely honest is money and so there is an argument to be made about how the police also serve a purpose to keep people in the status quo mm -hmm. meaning it's the big guns the elites that are passing the laws and so then the police exist to just enforce the laws that are being passed by the elite at the expense of the normal people um, and so that's a whole different, that's a kind of like a whole different kind of worms. But I think what you touched on is, is really true. And it just really compounds the problem of any kind of real reform because someone who might agree with you and say, hey, you know what? Police officers killing people indiscriminately, that's a bad thing. However, I don't want the system to change because I'm currently benefiting from the system. And so then uh, it, a lot of it has to do with greed. A lot of it has to do with uh, the way... Uh, America's corporate structure is set, and if you believe that we live in a, cap a free capitalist system, you have not been paying attention because we obviously don't. Because we don't. Uh, we don't. So uh, you know, cronyism reigns the day, and you know, but again, can of worms here. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I would agree, and, and I would actually uh, say that that's a very valid point about the complexity of other issues that plague American culture and plague American politics that really stifle any kind of real reform. Yes. Um, and they, and the, the crazy part is that um, 
the elites will try to paint it as a right versus left thing. But when in reality, it's a people versus the elites thing. But the elites, but the elites will paint it in a different picture so that they'll divide us as the populace and we'll never come to an agreement on anything because somebody along the line convinced us that because your neighbor thinks slightly differently, you can never come to a consensus. Yes. And so... Um, and that's why we're going to vote Kanye for president. Hey, 20, Kanye 2020. <laughs> Keep coming out with those albums. Mark already hey, gave... Hey, for real though. Mark already gave the endorsement. Mar- hey, Mark already gave the endorsement. Everybody, make sure you vote Yee. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, one of the things that you had mentioned, Marco, was it's a heart problem. I... I I have an issue with that constantly because the way people use it, mm-hmm. they, they use it as a scapegoat. They use it as like, oh, no, like it's, you know, it's a heart issue. It's a yeah. heart issue. And I'm like, yes, and it's a systemic issue that's been going on forever. Like going back to what Izzy was talking about, the, like the very beginning of time, like uh, the, these systems were set up purposely for this reason so heart issue yes systemic issue a hundred percent it's not just a heart issue and for people to like to use it as a scapegoat especially like this this especially the 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 church going folk like it it really like lights me up it really and you and i were talking about that like it angers me and that's one of the things that i have to deal with like it just makes me so mad that they just brush it off like uh as a heart issue and yes, yes like uh, Izzy you were talking about how it's like a like for, for p- police brutality for like a race issue like you see police brutality period much more with with you know Hispanics Mexican Americans uh, you know black people people of color POCs or whatever you know it is now um, I don't like that term <laughs> yeah we had a discussion <laughs> on that one uh, I'm gonna but, stay out of that one yeah <laughs> so we 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 see that 100%, but we also, like, there's just this abuse of power yeah. with all types of people, right? And so, um, yes, heart issue, but more so systemic. Well, I, I would say with both, there's there's a disconnect, in, 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 I think, in, in both. For instance, you can say, and we can agree, that it is a heart issue, and then you see, for instance, many within the church don't do anything. Well, that's a disconnect. That's a disconnect in your ortho- orthodoxy versus your orthopraxy. That that there's a disconnect there, right? From your from your doctrine and your practice, there's a disconnect, and that's sinful. Yes. Right. On the other on the other token, right? So you mentioned just uh, as an overgeneralization, like there, hey, there is police brutality, and that too would be considered a a, a heart issue. However, even if we set that aside briefly, that is a disconnect from. You've, you've really been the one who's taught me this, Izzy, where that's a disconnect from uh, doctrinal law enforcement. Like, you're there to serve and protect and enforce the law. You are not the law. And so they take it upon themselves to, that's good. Um, <clears throat> to uh, um, you know, commit some of these, like, uh, the, these brutal acts of, of violence. And so, uh, so there's a disconnect there because at the same time, we would say that each one of us knows really good Police officers and law enforcement. Sure. We have friends that are that serve and protect and enforce the law, yeah. and and what they believe is consistent with how they enforce the law, yes. right? And so I think in both of those categories, there is a disconnect of doctrine and practice. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I see that 100. percent I think you're right. And touching on this, the systems thing that you're talking about, 
I've heard many people say we need to fix the system because it's broken. Um, I don't think the system is broken. I think the system is working the way it intended because it was pe- it was people who designed this a long time ago and were really thinking like, how do we keep our own successful? How do we keep our own in power? And whether you believe it's strictly white people or whether you believe it's an elitism thing because most people who are elites tend to be white. Um, I, I really believe that the system was not created to work for the people. And the perfect example of that are things like the Electoral College, uh, the Senate. The Senate was created to protect rich people. It eventually um, uh, transitioned into you need to elect a senator. But, it's, uh, but there was a point where senators were appointed. Um, and so there, there's just the, the system that was created to protect people at the top, people at the bottom oppressed. And when uh, African uh, when African slaves were freed, they became part of that bottom. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a there's a book that I read. I wish I could remember the title right now. That basically talked about how the Southern elites um, were the ones that created the KKK because they now that now that African slaves were freed, they were competing for jobs with the low class white people. And so then, in order to keep the low class white people oppressed, the Southern elites created this fear and paranoia of uh, of African Americans, basically tell them like, hey, this is your true enemy. Like, I know I'm oppressing you. I know that I'm rich and I'm going to take advantage of your poverty, but that guy, you know? And so then that's sort of what created a lot of the Southern racism. And obviously there's, it, it, it's something that has been existing for a long time, but that really amplified it. And it really allowed for things like lynchings and other severe and horrible human atrocities to occur because they were able to convince uh, people who were distraught, you know, really poor white people. They convinced them that your true enemy is this newly freed um, uh, African slave. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, the, what? Oh, I'm checking my phone. Sorry, I interrupted their thought pattern. Oh. Anyway, continue. <laughs> We're at 40. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a text message, everyone. Sorry, guys. It was my fault. Right, right. Anyway, keep it, going, keep it going. Keep it going. So where was Oh. So you were talking about how um, the KKK was started by the Southern elite, and they were purposely engaging in fear-mongering uh, so that like the low white folk could be like, oh my god, they are my, they are my enemy, and therefore make lynching per- like purposeful and legal, and like, it, all these murders happening, right? And so uh, that can be the same – that can be said of uh, the Mexican-American community as well. So a lot of people don't know this, but like – there was a lot more lynchings of Amer- Mexican Americans than there were African Americans, uh, and a lot more lynching happening down here in the valley. And so, for people to be like, like this, this is one thing that really, really, and I just need to deactivate my Facebook. I just need to do it. I've been telling you to do I, that I, for I, I months. I've been off of Facebook dude. for three years. Hey, good job, it's been dude. glorious. I can okay. tell you. Yeah, look it. at that. Right. That's awesome. It. Praise Whatever. the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but like all these people that are like, uh, oh, you know, Mexican American lives matter too. Like. Yes, and, you know, this, and so, like, people that don't, you and I were talking about people that don't know history, right, yeah. like, read a book, first of all, but people that don't know this, like, this is not just, like, the, the black community, this is also your community, the Mexican-American beauty, uh, community being lynched, being murdered, uh, we're being, like, used uh, back in the day, and still are, for the same, the purpose, for the same reason, huh? Like the Bracero's program? Yeah. Exactly, the Bracero program, right, and so, you had Lone Star Rangers, like, going they're basically kkk with a police like 
Uh, Texas Rangers. Yeah. Te- Texas Rangers. Get it right. What did I say? Lone Star, Lone Star Rangers. Rangers. Oh, that's a movie. Sound, right? It sounds like amusement park ride. Dude, the Texas Rangers have a really troubling history. They do. And, uh, yeah, oh my gosh. And the fact that but they're we like, venerate them here in the state of Texas is... It's so crazy. Yeah. And so crazy. <laughs> and so, like, it, it's it's one in the same. I met one Ranger before. And, you, you what? I met a Ranger. Those guys are like... Was he cool? He was. He was very cool. I'm not gonna lie. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna be straight. Like, I mean, he walks in with a big old cowboy. And he's a Hispanic. Big old cowboy hat. Big old Texas Lone Star belt buckle with the badge. Yeah. And he had his his 45. Like, I was like, dang. He didn't have a six or six shooter. He did not. But he had boots. Like, he was like legit, man. Yeah. And and to be a Texas Ranger. How legit are you without a six shooter though? Huh? How legit are you? Yeah, you need a six shooter to really like. I mean, I don't, I don't know. That would be, that, that would be the answer to my question. That I, I don't know. I don't know how good you would be without a signature. Um, but, uh, but I do know, like, it just, and you might know this because you were, you were in the law enforcement track. Like, uh, to be a Texas Ranger, it's, it's no joke. Like, you have to, obviously, uh, military experience is preferred. You have to have at least been a, a state trooper for a minimum of 10 years. You have had to have X amount of time in law enforcement and certain special departments just to get in. That's not you the decorum. Know. The decorum yeah. is a huge part of it. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, yeah. So what they did was horrible. And I don't want to just dismiss it. Yeah. <laughs> you know I what mean, I mean? The modern, the modern interpretation of yeah, yeah. The, the modern interpretation, interpretation of the Texas Ranger is just like, oh, man. If, if like, you're looking at it from someone who wants to be a cop or in law enforcement, yeah, then I, w- I would say. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. If, even if you think about like. Uh, pre-prohibition, Texas Rangers had um, absolute freedom from the law to do whatever it is they uh, wanted to do. Oh, yeah. A really good, um, to an extent, I think, a really good um, example or rendition of the freedom that Texas Rangers had was in this movie. It came out on Netflix. I think it was during quarantine. It was called The Highwaymen. And it was yeah, a movie yeah. based on the capture of Bonnie and Clyde. And so um, the Texas governor at the time hired these two former Texas Rangers who are now retired. One of them is played by Kevin Costner. Another one's uh, Woody Harrelson, I think. And so, um, <clears throat> so they hired them to go find Bonnie and Clyde. And essentially they have free reign to execute the law. Yeah, to, to, to execute the law in Texas and in other states. And in addition to that, throughout the movie, they talk about uh, some of the stories from the early 1900s, particularly uh, toward Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. And so that gives you a very, very, very broad picture of, of how they would exercise their authority unjustly upon, upon other uh, Hispanics and, and Mexicans. Now that you touched on that, quick rabbit trail. Because that wasn't enough. Because that that wasn't enough of a rabbit trail. Before you get to that rabbit trail, guys, we thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, This is going to be a two-part episode. So tune in next week where we will continue our conversation on rabbit trails, Texas Rangers, and La Bruja. Just kidding. There's no Bruja, but might as well make it. I mean, there could be. But there could be. All right, guys. Say your goodbyes, please. Bye. Bye. See you next week. All right, guys. Thank you again for tuning tuning in. We will see you next week in... Uh, have a good one. There's no place like the family table, a place where we can.